when Charles was gathering his songs up, I didn't know if he's getting ready to sing another one or not. Good job, Charles. Don't we have some great song leaders in this congregation? Really, I appreciate it because as uh, Mark said this morning, singing is a major part of a Christian's life, and, uh, and it's great to be able to sing with you, uh, brothers and sisters. All right, we have, uh, in our Sunday school program, we have just finished uh, our story of the Old Testament, and we've gone through it rather rapidly. Uh, in fact, I've had a number of individuals come up to me afterwards and say, well, gee, we went through that kind of quick. We didn't talk about this or this or this. Well, that was the point. We kind of went through it rather quickly just to give us an overview. Uh, and next week, I just kind of make a little announcement here. Next week, we, uh, we start the book, the, the Gospel of Mark. So uh, you might get started on that as we get into the Gospel of Mark. And we will not have an introduction in the auditorium. So just go right to class and your new teachers will, uh, will take over in that study. So back to the Old Testament. Uh, I decided I'd pick out one of my favorite characters tonight. Uh, Mark mentioned when he was speaking this morning, he said, you know, he was looking at his calendar and it was a year ago that Toby took his vacation and uh, Mark got to speak and I did too. That was a year ago, so he took that away. I was going to make that announcement and Mark took that already. But I do remember uh, I, last, uh, last year at the same time, I talked about one of the prophets. I want to talk about one of the kings uh, this evening. Uh, I want to make sure that we get a good understanding of one of the great kings of Judah. And that, of course, is King Hezekiah. Now, again, uh, kind of like in our Sunday school uh, study of uh, the Old Testament, the, the survey thing, we're not going to touch on everything uh, about Hezekiah, but I do want to kind of hit some of the highlights that I think are important and that I think will help us. Now, if you're interested, uh, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 18, and you can go to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. In fact, you might just kind of put your finger in one of those and, and uh, another finger in one of the others. You also read about Hezekiah in Isaiah because Isaiah was a prophet to Judah during the reign of Hezekiah as well. And then there's one other mention of Hezekiah, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It's just a very brief uh, mention, but it's in the book of Psalms. Uh, Hezekiah was the 13th king of Judah. Now, for those of you that weren't in our Sunday school programs, you, you need to remember at this point in the study of the Old Testament, there are two kingdoms in Israel. Israel is not just one. Israel is now two. The ten northern tribes were called Israel, and so after King Solomon's reign, after the reign of King Solomon, after he dies, when you read in the Bible about Israel, it's talking about the ten northern tribes that broke off in rebellion from the nation. When you hear the term Judah after that, it's talking about the two southern tribes that remained uh, as part of the lineage of David to lead us to Christ and remained at Jerusalem and worshiping at the temple. In fact, the northern kingdom, Israel, was so rebellious, Jeroboam, their king, wouldn't even let their people come down to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. And so he set up high places and he set up other places of worship and he set up other capitals and all that kind of stuff and forbade them from coming down. I'm sure some probably did, but... 
uh, he forbade them uh, from coming down to worship. So, so we're in, when we're in Hezekiah, we're in one of the kings of Judah, not one of the kings of Israel. And there were about 20 kings of Judah after Solomon. And Hezekiah was the 13th in that reign. Now, I made uh, mention, I made a list in my information that uh, uh, there were about seven good kings and there were about 13 bad kings uh, in Judah at that time. And, uh, and Hezekiah happens to be not only one of the good kings, but I think the best. Uh, and Hezekiah is not perfect. We're going, to, we're going to look at that tonight as well. We're not just going to, we're not just going to send all the glorif, glorious things about Hezekiah. We'll also share with you some of his, his weaknesses uh, as well. But he took over from his dad, uh, Ahaz, A-H-A-S, A-H-A-Z, excuse me. Uh, uh, he took over from, for his dad, who was a really bad king. And so that's kind of interesting as well. You know, uh, I, I won't even, no, I won't go there. I started to talk about bad dads and good kids and good kids and bad dads. I won't go there. We won't, we won't, we won't, we won't chase that rabbit tonight. But it is interesting that Ahaz was a pretty bad king. He was, he was pretty nasty and he was pretty anti-God. And yet his son Hezekiah comes along and is probably the greatest king Judah ever had. So, uh, you know, kids, hang in there, okay? Even if your parents are dumb. No, I'm just kidding. Just, I'm just teasing. Hang in there and do the right thing. But it also tells us that all of us should do the right thing, no matter what is in our background. And I'm not a psychologist, and I know a lot of people have a lot of things in our background, but you know what? It's a new day. And we can all stand up and love God, and we can all stand up and go forward. We don't have to continue to drag that baggage. And Hezekiah didn't do that. Another reason I like Hezekiah is he didn't drag the baggage back. And he also didn't bag on his dad. I mean, he didn't say, Jerry, my dad was terrible. He just went forward in the Lord and did the right things, okay? So uh, he reigned for 29 years. Uh, and died at the age of 54. So I think he was rather young, but back during those times, uh, you could live a long time or you could live a rather short time. His mother was Abai, A-B-I. Today we would say Abby, uh, and she was the daughter of Zechariah. Now, during his reign, during Zechariah's reign, Judah was a vassal of Assyria. And that just simply means that even though they had their own little government and they had their own little worship and they had their own little towns uh, and and they, and they they you know they raised their own little crops and did all this stuff to keep from being totally overrun by the Assyrians, they had to pay tribute to the Assyrians. Now, in modern days, uh, the the best thing I can figure out to use as an example in modern days would be the mafia. Okay, so you have a storefront and you're selling whatever and the mafia comes in and if you say, if you want to keep selling and if you want it to be peaceful and if you want everything to go nice, you're going to have to pay us a bunch of money and we'll protect you. And that's the same concept that Jerusalem was in. I say Judah, but Jerusalem, of course, was the capital that they were in with Assyria. Assyria was the big dog on the block, okay? Let's talk a little bit about uh, Syria uh, just for a second. Uh, 
I hope you can see that. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, the yellow part is the Assyrian Empire, okay? And the rest of it there is the, the main part of the world that was functioning in a powerful way at that time. You had China, which existed, and you had some tribalism up in Europe, and of course you had some tribalism down in African places, but this was the heartbeat of the world at this time. And Assyria was the big dog um, uh, in, in the whole area. And of course, they're, uh, they're, they're, that's, this is Mesopotamia, okay? This is where they are. Uh, and uh, Assyria was really named after Asher, which means the country of the god Asher. So Assyria was named after a false god, an idol named Asher. And the kingdom of Assyria... Uh, it really was found in history from about the 23rd century B.C. all the way through about 608 B.C. By the way, we'll talk about that, but in 608 is when Assyria went away. Babylon took over after them. But Assyria's capital was Nineveh. Now, does that strike a familiar tone? Oh, yeah, first thing we think of when we think of Nineveh is we think of Jonah. And God told uh, Jonah to go preach to the people of Nineveh because they weren't behaving themselves. And, of course, we know how Jonah tried to run away and the whale and all this kind of stuff. Uh, excuse me, the large fish and all this kind of stuff. But when he finally got to Nineveh, do you remember what happened? The people repented. Now, remember, Nineveh wasn't an area... Uh, it, right, it, in, Nineveh wasn't a kingdom of God... And they didn't have a temple and they didn't have all this worship. But God expects the people of the world to bow to him, no matter who they are. And we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You go all the way to Noah and his sons when they populated the earth. He expected people to acknowledge who he was and bow to him and love him and, 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 and live by his ways. And he expected that of Nineveh, even though Nineveh wasn't one of his towns, didn't have a temple, didn't have any kind of priest, didn't have anything in it. He expected them to live that way, and they didn't. But when Jonah went, guess what? They repented, and it was, it was pretty awesome. So the Assyrians uh, later on, however, were, were known for their brutality. And what happens in a, whether it's the Greek, whether it's the Roman, whether it's the Egyptian, whether it's the Assyrian, whether it's the Babylonian... Their kingdoms expanded, and they did it by violence. They did it by taking over other countries. And they did it because they wanted their resources. If there was gold in this country, they said, well, let's go get this country because we want their gold. And we'll subjugate their people. And this is how, you, this is how they operated back then. There were, most countries didn't live very long until they came under the authority of some mighty power. It was just the way things happened today. Uh, back then. And today, it's kind of the same way, except there are so many powers, we kind of stand away from each other just a little bit, you know? And I'm sure there are countries today who still like to rule the world. So that mentality probably hasn't gone away. But back then, they, it took place. They wanted to do something, they, they did it. They went after it, okay? So uh, in about 1300 B.C., uh, with its mighty warrior, uh, Nimrod, uh, in Genesis chapter 10, by the way, he led the ancient world and conquered Babylon. And so this is where the mighty 
uh, Assyrian Empire really grew is when he took over Babylon, which Babylon was was a prominent name and a prominent place all throughout uh, biblical biblical history. Uh, but Assyria's wickedness and paganism uh, caused a lot of problems. And, of course, that's when God sent Jonah to them uh, to tell them to repent. Nineveh was the capital, and they did, okay? And then King Sennacherib, crazy name, uh, insulted God. He told his people to neither listen to nor put their trust in God's word. That's 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 29. And he even challenged God's power and likened him to any of the other idols, 2 Kings 18, beginning in verse 33. He just said he's just like any of the other gods. So if you go back to the time when Assyria repented, they listened to Jonah, they put on the sackcloth, they did the ashes thing, they repented. Now Sennacherib comes along and he says, now this God is just like any other God, don't listen to him. And that, of course, angered Jehovah. And so he said to King Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19, verse 28, he said, because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will listen to this. I will put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth, and I'll make you return by the way you came. Now, some, not everybody in here was in our study of the Old Testament, but one of the things that I tried to emphasize in the class that I taught is never forget that God will not just sit by and let your insolence and your rebellion go, he will act upon that at some time. And we see it all throughout history. God, it's not beneath God to take a country out. It's not beneath God to let a country go into um, captivity. It is during the reign of the southern king, Hezekiah, that the northern kingdom of Israel, 722, went off into Assyrian captivity. So it's not beneath God to just say, well, you know, you guys have left me. I have sent prophets. I have begged you to come back. I have done great things in your country, and you ignore me. See you later, my emphasis. It's not beneath God to do that. And that, you know, that scares me sometimes because I kind of want God to just overlook every bad thing I do. God expects me to worship him and expects me to bow before him, and expects me to give my heart to him. And when I don't, I cannot expect great things to happen. So true to his word, years later, the prophet Nahum warned uh, in in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. And then he revealed the end of Nineveh. And then around 608, After dominating for 300 years, that empire I showed you, after dominating about 300 years, the once great empire that used to acknowledge Jehovah as God, that once great empire fell and to to a coalition of Babylonians, Babylonians and Medes, and they burned Nineveh to the ground. Now, this is a Google Earth picture of Nineveh, the one of the Bible. 
and you'll see around it the city of Mosul. Now, now that would be strange to us had we not been involved in the Iraqi war. And oftentimes we heard about some battle or something that was going on in Mosul. That's Nineveh. But you'll notice that the original town of Nineveh has never been lived in since. God's word is still is still in effect. God said, I'll destroy you, and God destroyed them. All right, let's get back to Hezekiah, enough of, of uh, Assyria. All right, remember that Hezekiah's father was Ahaz, and he let Judah uh, worship false gods. He let them go off and... You know, all kind of different directions and led them there, by the way. And according to Second Chronicles 29 through chapter 33, Hezekiah began to reform uh, in the very first year of his reign. So here's Ahaz, his dad, who's a wicked king, lets him go off and worship idols and things. He dies and Hezekiah takes over and immediately, and by the way, we're not told why. We're not told that Hezekiah was waiting in the wings, you know, for his dad to die. We don't have any of that drama stuff going on. But all of a sudden, in the first year of his reign, Hezekiah says, we're going to straighten things out, okay? He was motivated to bring the true religion, the true worship of Jehovah back in practice. Uh, and, and so he had kings and Levites, and they purified the temple. Of course, by the way, the temple was in bad shape. Uh, because, because Judah didn't care about it. Ahaz didn't care about it. And after they had done so, then he assembled the leaders of the people and he brought animals into the temple and, I mean, in, in, in front of the temple and he sacrificed, had the priests make sacrifices and things. Then he reorganized the priests and the Levites. He eradicated idolatry in the country. He reinstituted Passover, uh, that had been forgotten. Hadn't done Passover for quite a while now. And after celebrating a truly national uh, Passover for the first time, literally, since the the reign of Solomon, where everybody came together uh, in Jerusalem for Passover. Um, And Hezekiah, and then, of course, Hezekiah sent his people then out into the countryside. And guess what they did? They started dismantling all the idols I mean, they broke them into pieces. They tore up the altars. They tore up the standing stones. They tore down the sacred poles, the Asherah poles. And, uh, and, and Hezekiah is, re, is, is, is credited with removing these play, things and, 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 uh, and, and bringing these major reforms. Although later, King Josiah perfected all that, okay? So I don't want to go away from here thinking that Hezekiah did everything. Josiah, who came, I'm guessing, 14 years later, after three or four kings in between, and he perfected uh, that issue. But as I mentioned before, Hezekiah was reigning when Judah in 720, I mean, when Israel in 722 went off into Assyrian captivity. So as soon as as Hezekiah, and by the way, I forgot to mention one kind of interesting thing. Uh, and if you, if you remember, uh, when, uh, Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and at one point, uh, God sent snakes to bite them. Remember that in their rebellion? Kind of a strange story. Sent snakes to bite them. How, do you remember how that cure took place? 
God created a bronze serpent, raised it up, and everybody who looked on the bronze serpent then was healed. Remember that? Guess what? Years and years and years later, probably, let me guess up, let me figure this out, probably 500 years later, and people in Judah were, st- were worshiping that bronze snake. I mean, they still had that thing someplace, that 500-year-old bronze snake, and people were worshiping it, and Hezekiah made sure that they went out and destroyed that bronze snake. Why? Well, wait a minute. That was a thing of God. That wasn't an, a separate idol. It wasn't a false god. That was a thing that God wanted created. Yeah, but he didn't want it worshipped. God wants only Jehovah worship, not something else. Only Jehovah uh, is to be worshipped, okay? So uh, soon after that, soon after he had won the, the war against idolatry, or at least made some great headway in it, then he turned his attention to reorganizing the army because Judah wasn't much, didn't have much going for it. And so he, he constructed fortifications and he tore down various uh, things that were in, uh, he, he destroyed various enemies where Ahaz, his father, was weak in doing that. He stopped paying tribute to Assyria. Now, trust me, that's the biggie, okay? He fought the Philistines and, and wiped them out. I mean, he did some great things, but he stopped paying tribute to the Assyrians, which again would be like the store owner in the big city who's under control of the mafia, and the mafia walks in one day and says, where's my money? And he says, I'm not paying it anymore. So Hezekiah, is, he's tough, he's strong, and he believes that God and God's kingdom should be first, okay? So the Syrians, however, <laughs> were a major foe, and just because Excuse me, just because Hezekiah said he wasn't going to pay tribute didn't mean he didn't fear them. Didn't mean he had, didn't, you know, understand they could wipe him out. So Hezekiah undertook a project by saying, I know the Assyrians are coming and I know they're going to try to besiege us. I know they're going to try to take us over. So if we're holed up in Jerusalem for a long time, we're not going to have a water supply. So he went to the spring of Gihon. And he rerouted the spring of Gihon through the city of Israel. And I don't know exactly how long this thing is, but it's something like 1,400 yards long. He rerouted the spring through there, and it came out then at the uh, Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam is what you see on the right. And then on the left, you see the lady walking through. You can go there today, and those of you that have been there probably, anybody been there, been through the, to the thing? Come on, I know, okay, yeah, Brent has. You can go through that and you can see that, okay, the Hellers have. You can see that. What an awesome thing to believe it's still there and water's still going through it. So, and how, how long did it take them to dig a rock tunnel to, you know, I mean, Hezekiah was sharp, and he was on the ball, and he got things done so he could protect the people. Very, very, very sharp guy. Very sharp guy. When Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, decided that he would attack Judah, he literally took uh, the city of Lachish, and he surrounded Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem was the capital, remember. 
and maybe besiege is the better word. He put it under siege, the city of Jerusalem. Now, don't think of something like Wichita or Oklahoma City or Kansas City or something. Jerusalem was a very small town, okay? I mean, somebody, some people say it had about 70,000 people in it, but if you remember, especially the old city of David, not very big, but it had walls and things like this, okay? So he besieged uh, the city of Jerusalem, and he demanded their unconditional surrender. What are you going to do? Well, Hezekiah had already provided for water, so he knew they could hold out for a while. But during the siege, Hezekiah received a powerful backing from the great Macy 